Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. everybody hello i'm very sleepy so we'll see how this goes this is gonna be yeah challenge to say the least welcome back to our podcast about horrible things that i whisper in your ear before you go to bed yes i mean it is spooky season it is it is spooky season which i'm very much looking forward to i just need to get my energy back so i can fully enjoy Halloween. I have already partaken in some spooky festivities, so I'm okay if I don't do any more. <laughs> <laughs> we usually throw a Halloween party if we have like the time to do so and it we're like, you know, in one place long enough. So um we're doing one this year again and we're going all out on the costumes because that's a kind of annoying person I am so (laughs) I enjoy that though so Sunday was um the big pine zombie bike ride oh and also the same day Key West was having one and so what happens in Key West the week before Halloween annually it's called fantasy fest Mm -hmm. and it's a week long of just like Halloween parties and costume themed parties and just there's um what are they called there there's parades so fantasy fest was canceled again this year but private businesses like bars are still hosting their own yeah like fantasy fest parties so that's kind of how they're getting around it but the city of key west itself canceled fantasy fest so big pine has a zombie as well for fantasy fest and they kept their zombie bike ride um on schedule and so yeah. it was yesterday so everybody just gets dressed up as zombies and they get dressed up as uh different costumes as zombies so like there was a zombie willie nelson there yesterday <laughs> there was a zombie jesus there yesterday that gives you like any type of hint i went as a zombie pop star because that was just like the quick little halloween costume i had in storage i could pull out um <laughs> But my friend that came with us, he gets really into Halloween costumes every year. And um, he was really disappointed that Fantasy Fest is canceled because he's also the one that like coordinates like our part of the parade that we do every year too. <laughs> and so this year he was going as SpongeBob characters. 
And so for a zombie bike ride, he went as Schmitty Warberman Jensen. Yes. And so this is, oh, if you can see this, my God. <laughs> he like hand makes his Halloween costumes. Like his, uh, his face mask is made of cardboard and the eye holes are cut out and he put um, this type of shade cloth behind it to like have like a mesh eye hole situation going on. So. That I don't was... know if you can hear my dog, little Thunderpaws, back I here. I do. Marcy, <laughs> come here. I hear her a little, um, her little collar. Sorry about that. No, you're yes. good. <laughs> Schmitty Werber. Van Jensen, yes. Van Jensen. He was number one. He was number one. <laughs> I told my friend, I was like, next year, if you want to make this a little bit better, you should get yourself a real beer hat. So you can yeah. like at least like drink your beers while you're riding the bike and not even like have to go. worry about like moving it behind your mask or anything. So yeah. yeah. So the zombie bike ride is fun and they like, they judge your costumes and you decorate your bike and they'll judge your bike and everything. And you, it was fun, but I'm really tired today. <laughs> Honestly, like all of that fantasy fest, that sounds like my kind of like dream because I would do multiple Halloween costumes if I could, but I don't have anywhere to go around here. I really You guys should just come to Key West every year for Halloween and just clearly, live it up. Clearly. I really want to go to Galveston's. Um they have like uh almost like a masquerade ball that yeah. this shop called the Witchery puts on every year. And like people go all out on their costumes and no, we're, uh, we're staying here. We're throwing our own party. We are doing kind of deep cut Star Wars characters from the Mandalorian, but uh, Marcy is going to be baby Yoda. And I was going to ask who's going to be baby Yoda. <laughs> Marcy, Marcy is going to be baby Yoda. <laughs> I love that. And I am making a full set of Mandalorian armor for Corey because I am the best How are wife. you guys so creative? See, that's part know. of my problem is like, I, I just don't have the time to be that creative. I have just lost all sight of Halloween and doing anything for that. I just, Halloween's my favorite. So I, I always try to put some effort in. So I know the story we've kind of beat to death with a dead stick, but, um, there's been some interesting developments in the interesting whole. to say the least <laughs> yes gabby petito uh brian landry is it landry or laundry i think laundry. it's laundry like yeah. your laundry chore yes um that are interesting in the sense that there might actually be a survival or rather lack thereof um aspect to this whole story um so mm-hmm. what we do know and this is from the FBI special agent who is leading this case, uh, special agent Michael McPherson, um, stated that human remains and items belonging to laundry, um, including his backpack or I guess his dry bag rather, and his notebook were found in the Carlton Reserve in North Port, Florida. And that was where originally his parents said he had kind of run away to. Mm-hmm. Although there were a lot of other thoughts about where he might be, including like the Appalachian Trail, mm-hmm. um, among other places. So, <laughs> met, yeah, <laughs> that would have been the smart thing. But, you know, um, so it took them so long, apparently, to find said remains because they were found in an area of the park that has been underwater until recently, um, making the condition of the remains difficult to 
ID just from site alone. And that does make sense mm-hmm. because, I mean, you live in Florida. I know enough about Florida to know that it's a giant swamp. So. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes sense that it wouldn't necessarily be easy to find, especially if the remains were submerged. Um, the body was found two to three miles from the entrance of the por- of the park. And the weird thing is Bryant's parents actually helped with the discovery. Um, their attorney said that they stumbled upon the, the items by chance, basically. Um, law enforcement were following them the whole time and trying to keep a close eye on them. But there was some, to me, sketchiness with Chris Laundry because they lost sight of him and then he conveniently found the dry bag while mm-hmm. they didn't have their eyes on him, which I thought was interesting. So that's something that people are saying is like the parents are still intertwined with this somehow, yes. some way or another, because like, quote unquote, how ironic is it that they've been searching this area for like over a month now and like the week that the parents come and help, they find something. Mm-hmm. It's almost so. if- they knew where the body was maybe or that or well so a couple other things that I've been reading in the comments that people have questions about is like they used dogs yeah for this search and like if that part was underwater wouldn't the dog still pick up on some sort of scent trail and take them to that part that was underwater I mean it it depends and maybe they did we don't know but at at some point they wouldn't be able to go in the water I guess or yeah they also had a dive team but I you know I understand like when you have a dive team for searching and like it's murky swampy water like you the vis is shit and like yeah yeah you can only go in places that are deep enough for you to be diving in anyway yeah there's still like underwater but still yeah there's a lot of stuff that's like (laughs) weird about this case and at some point I wanted to read this article about you know they were talking about like you know kind of where everybody went wrong in investigating this case and honestly to me it just seems like there's like a lot of details that are either being held close to the chest or law enforcement's just like dropping the ball um yeah and I'm really not sure what it is yet um so apparently the FBI said that dental records confirmed that the remains were of Brian Laundry. However, the remains were described as skeletal, um, but it was found with clothing consistent with what Laundry was wearing when he left on September 13th. So according to the FBI, this is Brian Laundry. Okay. So I saw um, other things that was like saying how it was going to an anthropologist because there wasn't enough, like, I don't know, the author not the autopsy, but the coroner or someone like couldn't do enough. So they're sending it to an anthropologist to do whatever they need to do with it. Yeah. So basically after they autopsied the remains, um, there was no manner or cause of death determined, which I suppose is a little bit harder to do with skeletal remains. Although if you're a coroner, I guess maybe that's your job. Um, but at the same time, um, so yeah, his remains are being sent to an anthropologist and I'm assuming they mean like a forensic anthropologist, like somebody whose job it is to look at remains that don't have a lot of tissue left over. So you could tell things like strangulation or, you know, a gunshot wound or something like that. Yeah. Or like cutting. Yeah. 
Yeah. Kind of like what we talked about last episode with how they found the cut marks on the bones. Maybe a forensic anthropologist would be able to see tiny signs like that and be able to determine a cause of death. Yeah. And I saw also that like the notebook that was in his dry bag was saturated mm-hmm. enough that they need to dry it out and it could possibly be salvageable for them to read what was in it. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like if they get into that notebook, that is the only thing that will have any type of answer for anybody. Yeah. So kind of like our episode last week with the uh, expedition log. <laughs> yes, exactly. Kind My dumbass was like, well, if it's preserved in cold water, why <laughs> do you need to let it <laughs> dry out? <laughs> yeah. So at first I was like, wow. That's not a lot of time for a body to de- like completely decompose like that, but it is Florida. So I feel like, I don't know, with hot, hot, humid water, bacteria, there's all kinds of shit in those swamps that yeah. are going to eat away at tissue quickly. So I guess that's a little bit more believable, um, especially since he's been missing since mid-September. But like, what's interesting to me is like, okay, so either he committed suicide right? Yeah. Which could have happened. We just don't know because we don't know, you know, how he died. Well, it can't be from any gunshot wound because I feel like that would have left some sort of yeah hole in the in the skull. So. Right. Right. So that's an option. I Unlikely, but maybe his parents killed him and dumped him there. How I, I, fucking wild would that, that be? That would be crazy. I, I'm... These are just options. I'm not saying this is what happened. These are just like the speculation speculation in my mind. Or three, he tried to survive out there and didn't. I almost think that maybe the suicide or that where he tried to survive and outlast, but couldn't because like his uh, sister said, he's a mediocre outdoorsman. (laughs) Oh, yeah. um, Also, also, like, I wonder... The time, like, I don't know. I don't know how to say this without sounding like an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm curious about, like, the timing of his death because, like, I wonder if it was around the same time where um, there was a warrant put out for his arrest. Yeah. And, like, I wonder if that was, like, the final straw for him where he was like, oh, fuck, like, I'm going to get caught. Like, yeah, I guess one way maybe another. another possibility that would make more sense as to why his parents know kind of where his body is would be that he committed suicide and they dumped him. So they didn't kill him. They dumped yeah. him out there for whatever reason. Yeah, like, got him out of the house. Yeah, that one seems more likely than them killing him because they seem to want to protect him from what I can tell it's a it's really weird like I know I keep, I keep wanting to close this but like more information comes up that keeps like drawing me back in because I'm just like this is just a really weird well, one and there's also so many conspiracy theorists out there in the comments too it's hard to not go down a rabbit hole <laughs> yes absolutely so one of the other really interesting things about this whole search for both Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie's remains is that at least four other bodies of missing people were found during these searches. And I've seen some articles say 10. And those one of those articles was from the Sun, which is a UK tabloid paper. Mm. So I, didn't, so I went that one. Yeah. Uh, so four is what I can tell so far. So the body of an unidentified homeless man was found behind a gas station in Mobile, Alabama after 
police were tipped that laundry had been seen in the area. So they found that body. Body of Robert Lowry, who's a 46-year-old from Texas, was found at the base of Teton Pass in the Bridger Teton National Forest, which is 40 miles away from where Gabby was found. So they found him while they were searching for her. Hmm. Um, The body of, I think it's Josu or Jose, maybe, called Darren, who is 33, who was found in Watu, Wat, sorry, Watagua County in North Carolina, where dozens of unconfirmed sightings of laundry were reported in the area. And this is near the AT near Asheville. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the body of Sarah Bayard, who is 55, who was found off a highway in Douglas County, Colorado, um, because P- Petito. And Laundry had shared Instagram pictures from this area during their trip. So that's actually kind of a weird positive thing that has come out of this is that they found, you know, these, you know, Other missing people. That were people. Missing. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, we keep bringing up how, you know, why are we putting so much information on, or like emphasis on this case when there, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of other missing people cases a day. But this is kind of a good thing to see is that they're actually finding some of these missing people because of these yeah. extensive searches they're doing in the national parks. So, Ooh. Yeah, and there were, um, I don't think this was part of who they found while they were searching, but there were, uh, like there was a murder of a couple that was camping around the same time that Gabby went missing in like yeah. the Teton area too, so. Yeah, just kind of spooky because just goes to show you that our wild places and national parks are full of dead bodies apparently so when yeah. brian laundry first went missing on all these like florida tent camping and like florida keys pages there were people posting in it like oh keeping your eye out for him you know this is a place where people come to hide mm-hmm. i was like oh jesus yeah and so and then our governor put out a like a press release saying like he is asking all state law enforcement to like pretty much have a bolo out for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then I texted my boyfriend. I was like, because I knew he was in a training one day. I was like, yo, is this training? Like, because they told you keep like, is there a bolo out on him? Are you guys like getting trained on this shit right now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was for that. But he was like, yeah, we were told to like keep an eye out for him. And I was like, how fucking cool would it be if you got him? Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> like wild, but also like good for you if that happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So. I'm sure we'll get other little updates, but that's kind of where we're at right now is that according to the FBI, he's been found and he is deceased. Um, we're not sure the cause of death. So that's interesting. And Which also, like, if his parents would have just cooperated from the beginning and, like, turned their son in, they'd at mm-hmm. least still have their son alive. Yeah. Like, he'd be in jail, but at least he'd be alive. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, that's all speculation. We don't know how involved they are. They It seems really sketchy, but it could just be like weird coincidence. We don't know. We really don't. Yeah. And so that's why this whole case has been very interesting because there's been a lot of twists and turns. So we'll wrap that up for now. I may drop some more tidbits as, as more information comes along, but um, for yeah. now, <laughs> we'll try to move on next episode. <laughs> Honestly, like every time I open up Facebook, there's like some new development. I know. And I'm like, Jesus. I know. That's crime in real time. Um, yeah. 
So I forgot to do my citations last episode. So I'm going to do them real quickly. Okay. <laughs> I think I realized that when I listened to it, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I put them in obviously the show notes. So if yeah. you wanted to know what they were, they were all there for you. It's just, I forgot to say them. So anyway, okay. so my notes on Franklin's last expedition are, were based off of the article, What Happened to the Doomed Franklin Expedition? These are the clues by Kieran Mulvaney. Um, and that was from history.com. And then what happened to the HMS Erebus and Terror? Um, and that was from Royal Museum's Greenwich. Uh, what happened to the Franklin Expedition? Outpost heads to none of it to, found, to find out. That was by Evan Solomon for Outpost. And then there was the Hunt for the Arctic Ghost Ship, which is a Channel 4 documentary that you can watch on YouTube. I linked it in the show notes, but I think you can also watch it on Netflix. I think that was the first place that I saw it. Um, And then Inside the HMS Terror, uh, which is from Bangor Daily News. And that was just a brief uh, video of the divers kind of exploring the terror. Um, so those were the citations from last week. This week we are moving on from that story. Please. And we're going to tell a very spooky, spooky tale. Story. Yeah, because uh, I believe this episode comes out on the 1st of November. So the day after Halloween. So just a little bit more spookiness for you before you know we close the season out. Which for me, it never goes away. I'm always, this is, this is all, always what I am up to my neck in (laughs) for a reason i'm crazy um but this story uh many of you may actually have already heard it's pretty um what's the word i'm looking for notorious i guess Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of speculation as to what actually happened to these people that we're going to talk about there's you know a lot of conspiracy theories surrounding this one more so than you know, the Franklin and Erebus, I feel like all of the theories kind of surrounding that story um, are very scientific in nature. This one, Mm -hmm. not so much. So we can get into some of the like supernatural side of things or, you know, men in black government conspiracy side of things. And where they hold that like pen light up to your face and you forget everything you just saw. Exactly. So we can have a little bit of fun with this one um, because it takes place in Soviet Russia, and there's not a lot of information about it. So, yeah. So, we're going international again for this one, and we are going to be going deep into Russian or at the time Soviet Union Siberia. Wow. So, on your seatbelt and make sure you have and keep all your clothes on for this one. Yeah, because I'm totally going to strip to a spooky story, Jillian. (laughs) (laughs) You'll see what I'm talking about in a little bit. Okay, so in the late 1950s, at the peak of the Cold War, something mysterious happened deep in Russian Siberia. In 1959, Igor Dyatlov led a group of eight young Soviet hikers, seven men and two women, from a university hiking club to Mount or or Torten or Torten. I'm going to (laughs) butcher a lot of these names, even though I have been practicing them because it's yeah. Russian's not my first language y'all. So I I, I butcher names all the time. (laughs) Um, So 
Mount Ortorten is in the Ural Mountains in Arctic Russia, um, which is basically the border between Europe and Asia, as Russia is one of the few countries to kind of span both continents. Um, so the 16-day expedition would cover 190 miles of trekking in the North Ural Mountains, um, but eight of these nine hikers went missing, and soon rescuers made a ghastly discovery which led to a decades-long mystery of what happened at Dyatlov Pass. Ooh. Yeah. Um, also, these guys were just going for fun, like as a university hiking club, and they were like, yeah, let's hike 190 miles. <laughs> hey, remember what happened last time a group of people went on a hike for fun? <laughs> they got trapped in a cave, and then it took them like two weeks to be rescued right okay but this happened before that so you know they didn't have they you know completely different situation too but uh yeah i just like no flash floods in russia right (laughs) (laughs) not this time of year (laughs) something else that might be a natural disaster that may have led to avalanches maybe maybe we'll get into it okay (laughs) so um Let's talk about these hikers. So Igor Dyatlov was a 23-year-old radio engineering student at the Ural Polytechnical Institute and was an elite skier and hiker. He was the leader of the group of university students eager to do some winter hiking on a school break. So this was just like, oh, their fall break or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, casual. You got the week off. Yeah, Why not, you know, go put yourself through some of the most grueling conditions possible? I mean, that's what I always did on my fall breaks. (laughs) (laughs) It's for my liver and not my, like, physical body. Fair enough. So, um, so the group of hikers led by Diet Love included, uh, these hikers included seven men and get ready because I'm going to, it's going to be a a butchering right now. All right. I'm ready. These hikers included seven men, Yuri Doroshenko, 21, Yuri Krivonishenko, 23, and those are their ages, by the way. Sorry. Uh, Alexander. Oh, not their height. I would have never known. (laughs) (laughs) Were their shoe size? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Alexander Kolevatov, 24 years old. Rustem Slobodin, uh, who was 23 years old. Nikolai Sabo Brignoles, or Brignol, uh, who was 23 years old, and he was half Russian, half French. So that's fun. Um, Semyon Zolotarov, 38, and Yuri Yudin. And then there were two women as well, because, you know, in Soviet Russia, everyone's equal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, sorry, Ludmilla Dubinina, who was 20 years old, and Zenaida or Zenaida Kolmogorova, who was 22 years old. I think I did okay. I think you did so great. (laughs) That's definitely better than what I would do. So I have no place to judge. I told you I was practicing. Sounded great to me. All right. So that was the group. 
On January 15, 1959, the group arrived by truck to Viz High, which was the last inhabited settlement before their truck. And they spent some time in town prepping and purchasing supplies for their journey, including food stores, which is good. That's what we like to see. Mm-hmm. Um, on the 27th of January, they left uh, for their trek to the Ural Mountains. Soon, however, one member, Yuri Yudin, was feeling unwell and decided to return to Vizhai and left to go home, leaving the other nine members of the expedition to uh, continue on. And he happened to be the only survivor of that group. What was his name again? Yuri Yudin. Okay. Should I look at your uh, photos? Sure. So the, yeah, okay. there's on the first page, there is a picture of all of our uh, friends who joined the adventures. Um, and that individual is the only survivor. And so these are all, you know, fairly young kids, you know, just trying to go to school and get an education and have an adventure. And they were all, you know, friends. There may have, however, been some uh, love trysts going on. Some hanky panky happening. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting addition, but I don't really think it impacts what happened to the individuals, but that is yeah. some little side in information. Um, but yeah, they're, you know, all just very young kids. Honestly, Igor Dietlov looks a lot like one of my friends who has also been to the Ural Mountains. And oh, really? Speak, yes, and could speak Russian fluently and spent a year in Siberia. So that's kind of weird <laughs> to me. Maybe he's reincarnated <laughs> in your friend. Uh, but my friend, you know, for a very long time, and he is a very, very, very American. So um, not really sure, but he looks a lot like him, which is interesting. Wait, I have a question that probably is a dumb question, but sure. I still have to ask. Yeah. So the pass is called Dietlov Pass. Yeah. And that one kid's name is last name is Dietlov. Yep. Was it named after him or was it already named Dietlov Pass? I think it has another name in the local language, I believe. Um, like but- is Dietlov like the equivalent to Smith? No, no, it is named after him oh, okay. uh, now. And I think is kind of collectively now known as uh, Diet Love Pla- Pass, but... Gotcha. But before that, it had another name and still may be called other names from like the local language, but... Um, I gotcha. Yes, it was named after him and this incident. Okay. So, so we got to know everybody... <laughs> try to remember all the names no i'm just kidding don't just don't. well i like i think i'm gonna have to keep scrolling up to see like a face to the name and then continue yes, on hearing yes you. yeah um so by the 31st of january the group cached surplus food and equipment in a wooded valley and by february 1st uh they began to move into the pass that would soon become known as diet love pass with the goal of making camp that night on the opposite side of the pass. Um, however, a snowstorm forced them to make camp on the uh, west to the west on a mountain called Kolat Skjal, which in the local Mansi language means dead mountain. Super ominous. I would say that's <laughs> ironic. Um, they were taking pictures. Uh, oh, like so cute and happy. Like I know. Would. Hugging each other. Yeah. So I love that picture because I think often as Americans, we just imagine 
you know, the Soviets as these like very strict, serious people. And it's mm-hmm. like, we are all just people. We're all just people living our lives. And they just look like they're having the best time on this expedition and just, you know, doing what young kids do, taking goofy pictures and having fun. Um, and a lot of the pictures are like that, but that's, I think, my favorite one from the set. And you can find them all yeah. online. And they told me to not ruin this for myself. Yeah. Like, I said, don't look slide. it up because <laughs> I don't want you to do what you did to yourself yeah. last time. <laughs> yeah. But like, if you were yeah. to, after, you know, this is all over, you can look all of it up. There's a lot of pictures that are a lot like that. Um, I mean, they took pictures throughout the entire thing and all of the cameras were actually recovered. Um, and so we've got this really interesting photo journal of some of the stuff that happened. So the picture to the right is the last picture that the expedition members took uh, before they disappeared or of the expedition members before they disappeared. And this was them setting up camp during that snowstorm. So that was the last picture that was taken of them before they disappeared. And that's of them setting up camp during that storm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's some really deep snow. If you can tell from the photo. I kind of can. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it looks kind of like whiteout conditions because you can barely see anything other than them. I feel like. So they made camp on Dead Mountain um, and they chose to make camp on the mountain slope um, and temperatures at night ranged between negative 25 to negative 30 degrees Celsius, uh, which is negative 13 to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit so extremely cold (laughs) freezing cold I think the coldest uh overnight camping trip I ever did maybe got down to 20 degrees and that's not including the freeze I guess but that was in Kansas and it was a Girl Scout camp out that my dad took me to and I just froze so bad oh yeah (laughs) so I can't imagine negative 22 (laughs) No, I can't remember. It was 14 or negative 14 in, in Arches because it was like late January at Arches. Mm-hmm. We rolled in at like one o'clock in the morning. It was cold. Like yeah. my sleep bag is rated for 20 degrees Fahrenheit. And it, it, I remember looking at my phone and being like, fuck, this is cold. <laughs> and I had like on two layers and I had Waylon in my sleeping bag with me, and he had his own like dog jacket well, for cold weather. Waylon. And like I was fine in all the things that I had on, except I didn't have enough pairs of socks on, and my toes were freezing the whole night. That's always but an yeah, issue. that wasn't fun. Yeah, yeah. So I would not enjoy any of what is happening for them. No. Mm-hmm. Um. So sometime in the night, something absolutely catastrophic happened but their loved ones would not find out what happened to them for several weeks. Jeez. So the only reason they knew something was happening or had happened was because Yuri Yudin, who was the hiker that turned back, was expecting a telegram from Vizhai once the group had made it back, but he never hmm. got one. Um, oh. Yeah. So... He contacted authorities a week after their 
agreed upon date of arrival that the group had said like, okay, this is when you should expect us back, which is something that you should do when you're mm-hmm. going out in, you know, situations like this, like a lot of cavers have an agreed upon, like, if I'm not back by this hour, start you looking, know, looking for, for me. me. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, up until this point, they're doing everything right. You know, they've cached food, they mm-hmm. have communications and, you know, this is when we're supposed to be back. They have that set up. They have a lot of experience between all of the members. And so we always talk about like, well, you know, they could have done this right or they could have changed how they did this. But this is one of those ones where it's just like, we're not really sure what happened. And and that's kind of why this is so interesting. So Yuri uh, ended up contacting authorities um, to let them know that his friends were missing and the Ural Polytechnical Institute quickly put together a rescue team to look for the hikers because they had, you know, some of the best experience um, in this region. Mm-hmm. So here's where it gets real tricky. And I will say, if you don't want to look at pictures of dead bodies, I will warn you when that is happening. I will say they are not as gruesome as the last week's <laughs> pictures. Okay, cool. Because there's no like close-ups or anything. And mo- you, most of the time you really can't see their faces that well. And these picture, the picture quality isn't that great because it's the 1950s. So I will say that. So if you're curious, go for it. It's not, I personally don't think it's as bad as last week, but this is why I okay. didn't want, I didn't want you to like look it up and then stumble across this and then get upset. <laughs> All right. So on February 26th, rescuers finally found the group's tent. It was cut in half, but it was cut from the inside. Yeah, like they're trying to get out of it. Yes. As if the hikers were trying to get out. And the group's belongings, including their shoes, were still inside the tent, which is not good. (laughs) No. Yeah. So, So were they going insane or something? We don't know. That's we're trying to. It's one of the figure that out. The possibilities. So if you go on to slide four, there's no no dead bodies on this one. Cool, cool, um, cool. You can see a picture of the camp after the rescuers had found it. It's just kind of completely Covered in snow. Yes, and the tents are crushed. Um, so not looking great. No, definitely not. So they start looking outside of the tent and saw that there were nine sets of footprints, which were made by people only wearing socks, barefoot, or some of them had a single shoe. And so Mm -hmm. they determined this from the print and the depth of the print using forensics, which is really interesting. I didn't know you could do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it makes sense because your shoe is going to leave a different print than a barefoot or a sock and yeah, you're going to sink probably a little bit lower with the shoe on because it's a little bit heavier mm-hmm. um or maybe you'd sink more with just a barefoot because there's more pr- singular pressure in one spot kind of like how a snowshoe would kind of spread out your weight maybe a mm-hmm. shoe would do that more than a barefoot but anyway i thought that was really cool um so rescuers followed the footprints with some leading down to the edge of some woods about a mile away from the tent. This is when they found the first bodies. So 
Under a large pine tree, rescuers found evidence of a small fire and found the shoeless bodies of Krivonashenko and Doroshenko, who were wearing only underwear. Right. So that's why I said don't strip. (laughs) I feel like, isn't that like a sign of something? Like when you're like, that's like hypothermia, right? Where you like, you pass a threshold and you start feeling like you're hot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I feel, I was like, I feel like you've told me this before or I read it somewhere. I think but... we, we talked about it maybe with um Everest, I feel like, or so yeah. we talked about it at some point. Like you get too cold that you start thinking you're hot and then you go crazy. Yeah. Is there an altitude sickness thing happening here too? I don't think so. I don't think it was high enough for that. Okay. The, Ural, the Urals aren't particularly like super tall mountains. So I don't think there was like gotcha. a death, a death zone element. Um, they're taller than the, I think they're taller than like the Appalachians, but I think they're smaller than the Rockies maybe. So that gotcha. gives you an idea. Um, so yeah. So Kravonashenko, Doroshenko were wearing only underwear. Um, upon further examination, they noticed, and I'm going to, little trigger warning, a little bit of gore here. Uh, they noticed Doroshenko had bitten off a piece of his own knuckle. <gasps> Yee. So they were not doing hot. There's something clearly going on with their minds. Mm-hmm. Above them, pine boughs were broken to a height of five meters or 16 feet above where they had their little fire set up. So this they think indicated that one of the men had climbed up the tree to look at something or they were climbing away from something. Hmm. Creepy. That is creepy. What would they be cr- climbing away from? I don't know. We'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I told you this one's going to get a little supernatural, just a teeny bit, just, just a little bit. Are there aliens out there? I mean, that is one theory. There's there's a lot of theories with this one. Um, so if you really, really want to, you don't have to. Uh, we have the pictures of the bodies of everybody on slide five and six. So the first one is Doroshenko and Kravonashenko. Mm-hmm. You can't see their faces, but you can definitely tell they're not wearing a lot of clothes. Yeah, you can see the underwear in the one. Mm-hmm. And like a barefoot, which is... Mm-hmm. Oof, making me cold just thinking about it. Yeah. So three more bodies were soon found between um, the pine trees and the camp. And these bodies were Dietlov, Kolomogorova, which I believe is one of the women, and Slobodin, who were lying several hundred meters from each other. Dietlov was dressed, but he was shoeless and lying Mm -hmm. uh, face down. Kolomogorova uh, <laughs> looked like she was trying to crawl back toward the tent and had a mm-hmm. long bruise on the right side of her torso. Hmm. Slobodin had a skull fracture, but was better dressed than everyone else so far. Um, he had on a sweater, two pairs of pants, and four pairs of, of socks and one boot. So he was he was almost <laughs> dressed seems mm-hmm. like in comparison um although just a sweater in 22 or negative 22 degrees fahrenheit uh it's not enough very weird 
Um, and none of their injuries kind of line up. But yeah. it seems like maybe they left the tent in a hurry, obviously. Yeah, like someone got hit in the head, in their side. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, if you don't have like shoes on and like whatever you were wearing to sleep in, and you just like got up and left. Right. This is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's all just one. Now my brain is like thinking of all these options. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. Um, okay. So those were the only bodies found during this period of time. And they did continue to search for the rest of the bodies, but they didn't find the last four individuals until May 4th. And this was after most of the snow had melted. Mm -hmm. So they were able to find the bodies. So the last four were Dibinina, Zolo, Tarov, Thibo, Brignol, and Kolevatov were found 82 yards further into the woods um, from the pine trees where they had found the first five bodies and they were found down a steep slope into an icy creek Hmm. Um, three of the four bodies were wearing more clothes than the others and there were signs that as each person died the clothes were then appropriated by those who were still alive so which is interesting meaning they must have been alive long enough for them to be like, oh, this person died. Let me take their sweater or let me take their shoes or whatever. Yes. And I might have a chance, which makes yes. to me seem like they were alive for at least a couple of hours, not more. Outside yeah. And tent. also like, how are they dying? Like, did you kill them <laughs> for their clothes? I, that's another thing. All of the wounds on, on these guys are interesting as well. And you can see their bodies on page six and you can kind of see how they're all kind of together in this creek, except for Debrinina, who was the other female who was kind of off on her own, um, slumped against a waterfall. Yeah. Um, So Debrinina and Zola Zola Tarov had major fractures to the chest, both of them. Ugh. And Thibault Brignol had several skull fractures. Um, the most so, like someone's like hitting them, right? Or avalanche theory might come into play. Oh, 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 yeah. Because that causes uh, yeah, crushing fractures, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, but they weren't buried because it seems like they were alive a lot longer. You know, so that's. We'll get into it's really I'm not completely sold on the avalanche theory myself because there's a lot of weird things. So anyway. Yeah. 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 Keep talking. I got okay, I got okay. questions, but just keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> so uh another trigger warning here for Gore. Um, so if you don't want to listen to this, skip forward like I don't know, 15, 30 seconds. So the most disturbing, however, was Debrinina, who was missing her eyes, tongue. <gasps> part of her lips, part of her face, a fragment of skull bone, and the skin on her hands was macerated, meaning it was cut. Uh, So that's interesting. Yeah. Now, there's people who theorize it could be animals, uh, like scavengers, but why wouldn't they go after the rest of them? 
because the only other person who showed this kind of injury was Zola Tarov, who was also missing his eyes, but just his eyes. And I feel like that's like a symbolism for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you would think if they were scavengers, they would have just kept going because in the Siberian Arctic winter, you know, food isn't really that readily available. And the bodies were all grouped together. So why wouldn't they feed on the rest of them or more of her? There's like no birds of prey out there in that kind of environment, right? No, there are. There are. There are. Yeah. There's like ravens and hawks and, um, but, you know, suited to the climate, obviously. Yeah. Hmm. The other thing, if the snow had it, was covering them, how could the scavengers even get to them in the first place? It's another great question. There's a lot of good questions. (laughs) Yeah. The gears are churning for sure. Yeah. So the only person who showed no signs of external injury was Kolevitov. So he had no injury, like no Hmm. crushing, no fractures, no bruises, no missing body parts. Um, So not everybody was outwardly injured. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So the Soviets decided to investigate this. And they determined that the six member, six of the members had likely died of hypothermia, um, but three had fatal injuries, meaning they probably died due to their injuries before they succumbed to hypothermia, which meant that they probably died pretty quickly because most of them weren't wearing clothes. And so hypothermia would set in pretty quickly. Yeah. So in addition, and this is where it starts getting weird. Well, no, it's not where it starts getting weird, but here's another weird thing to add on to it. I was like, it's already been weird. <laughs> so in addition, three separate articles of clothing found on two of the bodies were radioactive. Huh? Yeah. To so- enough of a degree for it to be mentioned. What? <laughs> Is this like Chernobyl 2.0? <laughs> I mean, we are in Russia. How? How? I'm sorry. How, how, how would that, I don't even know how to ask this question. How how would that happen? That's a good fucking question. So. Am I going to Google how does things get radioactive in the middle of fucking nowhere? Well, considering the Soviets kind of use Siberia as a uh, weapons testing ground. Yo. Okay. So. Did they send off a nuclear bomb to be tested that caused an avalanche and then they were too <laughs> close to it? And then, like, all of this shit happened? Yeah, it didn't necessarily have to be a nuclear bomb. There are other kinds of weapons that could potentially cause like radioactive radiation. radiation. So keep that in mind, because if it was a nuclear bomb, they would have seen evidence, clear evidence of it. But That's also true. Yes, so, but that is... Was one of the theories. Um, okay, so after the bodies were found, the Soviet military got involved, and within a month, they closed the investigation, citing a compelling natural force, i.e., an avalanche, was the cause of death. Huh. And they closed the case. That sounds like a government cover up if I've ever heard of huh. one. Huh. So the creepiest part of this whole recovery. There are photos of their hike until this cataclysmic event that had happened. And at the estimated time of their death, 
there are a few photos of darkness with bright orbs, almost like bright lights in the sky. Mm-hmm. And you can see that picture on page seven. It's yeah. the one on the right. I and there's it. several pictures like this. Now, I mean, there's a lot of things that could cause that to happen, um, but it is still creepy. Somebody was yeah. taking pictures of something during the event. Yeah. They just don't know what. Man, imagine how frightened that group of people was when that, all that was happening. Right. And we don't even know what was happening to them. Except right? we know that they left clearly in a hurry. Yeah, they're like, fuck, we gotta get out of here. So, what are your theories? I'm curious to know what well, your theories are. So, now I'm like... So, the only three of them had, like, radioactive... I think it was two. Two of two? them. Yeah. Well, that's, like, kind of weird, too, right? Because... Mm-hmm. And the two people that had that were found, what, farthest away from the tent? I don't actually have information on where they found. I just know that two of the not eight, yeah, eight, mm-hmm. nine is nine. Sorry, <laughs> Adam. And that, I mean, may not be significant. I don't know what the actual levels are. Maybe, you know, they worked with radioactive materials back at the school and somehow some of it got in their clothes. So it's like, there's not a lot of information on how else that could have happened. Um, But I think if I remember, there's some research that I did on it. So we'll see as I read. (laughs) Yeah. Well, also, okay. So like if it was an avalanche, you said that, did you say that they waited until it melted for them mm-hmm. to find the bodies? Yeah. Okay, to, so find, to find four of them. But the other ones, the other five, were not buried in snow. Right. Right. And the other weird thing, this is why I have issue with the avalanche theory. The camp wasn't covered in snow. I mean, the tent had fallen in Collapsed because it in. had snowed on top of it, but it wasn't like right. buried and they could still see the footprints leading yeah, away so that, from the tent. That's why I'm like confused about the avalanche situation. Right. And the like pine tree area where they found those five bodies was lower than the camp. And some of the way or not some of these bodies the way that they are is like like the two, the first two that have no clothes on. Mm-hmm. That kind of looks like they're sleeping. Yeah. Well, those are the ones who started a fire to try to keep warm. Oh, okay. So then that would probably make sense that they were trying to sleep or something happened. That's um, There's like evidence that like they survived like post event. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they weren't just. And then in- the the other one, the girl next to the waterfall, like she's like kneeling onto a waterfall. Mm-hmm. So that's a little weird to me because it's like I don't know, like. That does not look like a comfortable position to rest. Yeah. So maybe, it's almost like, yeah. I don't know. It looks well, like it's placed that way or something. And those in the creek, you know, so it seems like, okay, well, maybe they were the ones buried in the avalanche and they got thrown down there. But there is evidence that they survived after that because they were the ones just trading clothes around. Mm-hmm. So why would they just sit in a creek? Yeah. So how did their bodies end up in the creek? Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Unless maybe the creek was frozen at the time that they fell this down there. I don't so know. So strange. Yeah. Is so there a documentary on this. I'm sure there are. I used articles mostly and the actual they have there's a whole website on this entire thing. Um that's like you a deep dive right now. 
so let's get into some of the theories um, instead of, you know, doing our own speculation, which is fun. And that's why I wanted to do the story in the first place. But I'll kind of introduce some more details um, of this event. Hmm. So why did nine people die deep in the Ural Mountains seemingly at the same time? Well, originally, the Mansi people were fingered for the crime, of course. Uh, the Mansi are one of the 45 indigenous peoples living in Russia, and um, they live lifestyles similar to other Arctic indigenous communities, such as the Inuit of Canada or the Sami people in Scandinavia. Um, and so they're very, you know, living off the land. Um, so the Soviets interrogated the community and arrested a woman who was never seen from again. So that's cool. That's great. Yeah. So the theory was that the Mansi hunters were high on magic mushrooms used in uh, shamanic rituals and went berserk when they found the students um, and found them on their sacred mountain. But this is likely just some racist bullshit. And to be fair, magic mushrooms do come from this region and uh, like northern Scandinavia, like the Lapland as well. So that is like an actual thing. However, okay. it's unlikely that this is what happened and the Soviets were just trying to peg somebody for this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not like Nancy were particularly violent people. Um, authorities were unable to find incriminating evidence and actually ended up asking the Nancy skiers for help locating those other four bodies in May. So they actually, you know, used them because they had expertise in the area because it was their home, right? Mm-hmm. So what about a more natural explanation? Well, there are theories that catabatic winds may have swept down on the campsite during the night. Um, And catabatic or catabolic winds are wind that carry high density air from a higher elevation down a slope using the force of gravity. They are commonly found in ice valleys and ice sheets in Antarctica and Greenland due to the fact that cold air sinks and therefore gravity pulls it into lower areas. So these winds can reach like hurricane speeds. So they're like no joke. Um, And -hmm. basically like a mountain valley creating a huge ass wind tunnel with super cold air. Um, So there was high wind on the mountain that night based on the weather conditions recorded. So it is possible that the wind may have damaged or collapsed the tent, causing the hikers to rush out unexpectedly without clothes however this doesn't really explain why some of the bodies had fatal injuries like the winds would be strong but i just can't see them being strong enough to crush skulls Um, right so maybe it could have thrown them down the mountain a little bit and they got have got injuries that way but it just it doesn't seem like a likely enough explanation to me but you know Hurricane winds are tough. I've been out in them and they are Yeah, but it's also like there's nothing around that's really going to blow into their head to cause that. Right. Like force, you know? Yeah, the only thing I think is if they got blown off their feet and maybe hit their head on a tree or a rock or something. Yeah, but nothing is like flying through the air to hit them. Right. And if their tent collapsed, I feel like they wouldn't run away from it. They would try to rebuild it. Rebuild it. Right. Hmm. So... So, of course, there are oddball explanations, which are fun, uh, like Yeti <laughs> or aliens. 
I mean, you never know. Um, well, considering those two guys, uh, supposedly there was evidence that they climbed up into the trees to escape something. Um, you know, that's kind of the main draw for like, oh, it was a Yeti chasing them. Um, yeah. But I feel like if that was the case, if Yeti were real, you'd probably like see footprints or something. Maybe. Yeah, like a larger footprints. Right. And and potentially that damaged branches could come from the avalanche or something, you know? Yeah. So I I find this theory fun. It's it's fun to, to think about personally. I don't really believe in cryptids as a biologist, uh, at least terrestrial ones anyway. There might be some in the deep ocean that we just have never seen because we have not explored the deep ocean, but right. I feel like we've seen most of the planet. Uh, if there was a very large ape. water, right? Yeah. If we, you know, if there was a large ape creature in the mountain, I feel like I feel like we would have seen it by now. <laughs> Someone would have seen it by now. Um, there Especially is with all the social media that's out and about now, right? And I mean, people go everywhere now. I mean, there's not mm-hmm. many places that haven't been explored at this point. Um, and for a large, uh, like charismatic type of animal, like what a yeti is described as or a bigfoot or whatever mm-hmm. um you would see significant evidence of their presence in the area because that's how big charismatic predators act i mean especially if they're so I'm apes go- i'm gonna go off on a side tangent real quick okay because <laughs> there's this instagram account that i've uh, seen through instagram reels and it's called bigfoot bay mm-hmm. have you seen it mm-hmm is this chick that dresses up in a Bigfoot costume and puts a pink bow around her head and her waist and, like, does all the trendy TikTok dances? <laughs> <laughs> see, that's... And, like, that's the kind of shit that I think, like, people would see that. We're like, all right. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, with TikTok, like, people are literally dressing up as Bigfoot to, like, be trendy. So if there's yeah. a real thing out there, they're definitely going to put it out there. Exactly. Like the music isn't on it, but oh my god, she's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> she's beautiful, glorious yeah. Bigfoot. There is a fun picture from this uh, that was taken on this expedition that has that like quintessential Bigfoot walking kind uh-huh. of pose. I don't know if He's you saw coming it. out from behind a tree. Like, yeah. <laughs> is everyone all right over there? Yeah, it's like, like that like classic Bigfoot picture you always see. Um, and so that's like the one of the cited like pictures, like, oh, it's a Yeti. And I'm like, that's ah, probably just somebody on the expedition screwing I mean, around. if you zoom in super, super close, mm-hmm. you can tell they're in some type of snowsuit. Right. And like you can see like a beanie on them. Yeah. <laughs> and like, because like it looks like they might have some facial hair too because... Well, none of these guys have facial hair on them, really, like that. But maybe they did of, after a couple. Yeah, days. or like, yeah, maybe they yeah. did. But um, there's like that part of the head that's like a darker color than like the rest of the head, so it looks like yeah they got because it's like a side profile view, so yeah. it looks like it's like here is like a bearded situation going on. They got a beanie. Yeah. So it's you know it's fun. I think it's you know one of those funny kind of like oh maybe but you know it's like but just, no nice try yeah yeah but i included it anyway you know it's fun it's fun to think yeah about. <laughs> um so another theory and this is one of my uh more favorite theories personally um 
is that military experimentation was going on in the area. I mean, honestly, that's kind of what it sounds like it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's more evidence for this one than you'd think, uh, besides the, you know, radioactive clothing and the pictures of the lights. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some Mansi people claim they saw a bright burning object in the sky the night of the incident. Um, And this is like a rocket, right? Rocket or bomb some kind of weapon yeah yeah definitely not a shooting star yeah um it's thought that the students uh maybe wandered into some kind of tests or experiments um and forensics actually showed that the students their bodies were subjected to something like an explosion wave so there was evidence of like a explosion wave trauma like sonic trauma yeah yeah so Oleg Arkhipov, <laughs> the writer of three books about the incident, had some interesting evidence supporting this claim. The autopsy report states uh, that organs of the uh, bodies were stored in alcohol, um, and this was something that was only done as a primitive protection against radiation. It wasn't a typical method of preserving um, like autopsy bodies. Hmm. So this ties in with the evidence that a few of the clothes had radiation. Also other da- dead animals were found in the area at the time of the students' deaths and the local Nancy people were banned from using water from the wells immediately after the incident and herders were banned from the area and hunting was not allowed for four years after the incident. Really? Yeah. Probably because that's some military testing ground that no one else wants to die on. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to keep it all hush-hush. Yes. <laughs> so this is why, because like the more you dig into this one, I'm like, there might be some evidence there. Um, but the thing is, it's like, how legitimate is this evidence? I mean, it's not coming from like the FBI or anything credible right. that we know is credible. It's coming out of the Soviet Union. So it's kind of hard to say. So I, I'm all for the it they stumbled across military testing grounds and they just got caught in between like a testing situation and yeah. it did not end well. Yeah. And then um I don't know. I don't know how to explain the rest of how the bodies were found though. Well, because, I like, think the eyes missing, yeah, like, the cuts and stuff, like yeah. I don't know. I don't know about all that. I'm almost wondering if some of the stuff like the bitten knuckle and like the hand like cuts were because they were kind of losing their minds a little bit. That's what it sounds like too, you know, like Mm -hmm. uh, that's weird though. Like a hypothermia kind of manic kind of thing. Yeah. It's, I know there's so much weird stuff about this one. And like the lips, it's like, okay, it could be a scavenger. It could be a scavenger. But why was it only the eyes, the nose, and the mouth? Why wasn't the rest of the bodies? I know those are like where scavengers try to get in first are your like very soft parts and your holes. But like, why wasn't the rest of the body eaten at all? Yeah. That's my, that's my issue with that one. Cause like on a biological level, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. But why wouldn't they eat the rest? Maybe they just got what they needed. They were, they, were cool. like, <laughs> they were like, this bitch, radioactive. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, it's not making me feel so great. 
starting to see some things. <laughs> see a Yeti over there walking behind the trees. <laughs> <laughs> um, so lastly, our Kip Hippov, who wrote three books on this, uh, state, stated that many investigators, journalists, and writers were told to drop their findings and forget about them by the Soviet military. Yeah, because um, that sounds just even more like military cover-up. Right. And the Soviets could get away with that even more than, you know, we can in the States because they just had, you know, complete control at that point in time. Um, you know, if you talked, you know, you went to a Siberian gulag, goodbye forever kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So all of this may be alleged. However, to me, there is more evidence here than there are for, like, the other theories, like, obviously, the Yeti the catabolic winds, you know, the Mansi people doing it, that kind of stuff. Wikipedia says that Russia opened a new, well, can I say investigation correctly? Russia opened a new investigation into the incident in 2019 and its conclusions were presented in July of 2020. Yep. That an avalanche had led to the deaths. But also like, do you really think that it takes like less than a year to find those conclusions? Right. And the evidence now is probably so degraded at this point. Yeah. So because like for I mean, you know, like to draw up and write up your conclusions, like it takes some time to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. So like the quote unquote investigation had to have gone on. Like, let's just say it started in July of 2019 when they mm-hmm. reopened the investigation. And then the conclusions were presented in July of 2020. So let's just make it even year. You would have to stop your investigation in like eight months to write your conclusions, right? (laughs) Yeah. And like get them all checked out and mm -hmm. like corrected grammatically. And Mm -hmm. maybe I'm thinking about this a little too hard. And then like organize organize the press release and everything. Yeah. (laughs) That's the the funny part about I was thinking about that too. I was like, it took me like a full ass year to get all my stuff written up and submitted and like accepted. And it takes a long scientific process as far as getting a journal article out. It takes a long fucking time. Yeah. And you need to revise that shit more than half the time anyway. (laughs) Yep. And then you get like three different revisions and then it takes you a month to do them. And then it takes a month for them to get back to you. And it's just like this long drawn out thing. So That's actually the next thing that I was going to get to. Sorry. Uh, no, it's fine. Googling. That's okay. <laughs> what else <So> is new? <laughs> was this paper from, and it was published in Nature, which is a very high huh. impact journal. Yes. That's yeah. Interesting. So, so this is considered the most likely theory um, as to what happened to these people because it's been, you know, published scientifically, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So while the Soviets in 1959 called uh, this a natural event, otherwise known as an avalanche, uh, recent evidence in this Nature Journal article also support this. Um, And it shows that a snow slab avalanche might have hit them in the middle of the night. And I'm going to describe this. So a slab avalanche is an avalanche that occurs when a slab of snow near the surface of the snow breaks away from a deeper layer of snow um, due to like water or ice melting basically and becoming water. So this top layer of snow slides downhill in blocky chunks, 
usually because part of the deeper layer is melting. So they think that basically they, because they put their camps on a hill, uh, the top of the snow slab avalanche hit the camp um, and crushed the tent. Um, Wouldn't have killed them, but might have caused bodily injuries like what they saw. Right, like the bruise down the side. Right, it wouldn't it would have... explain why they needed to cut the tent out from the inside and leave with whatever they had on. Right, um, and it wouldn't have killed them or buried them, but it would have definitely startled them and injured them. Yeah. So this article has received a lot of criticism from the scientific and conspiracy community alike, mostly due to the fact that there was no sign of an avalanche when rescuers arrived 26 days later and found the bodies which is my issue with it as well. Right, but the tent was covered in snow. Mm-hmm. So is are these, what'd you call it? A, a slab avalanche? Yeah. Um, are slab avalanches, like would that be like the extent of a slab avalanche or would there be like a larger? Um... No, I think slab avalanches are smaller than like your typical. So like it could very well be like whatever was the snow that was on top of the tent could have just been like whatever the slab avalanche was. Right. Cool. Got it. Yeah. So, but, you know, I'm not an expert. Um, So this article states that snowfall had occurred in the weeks after the accident, which would have covered the sign of the avalanche. But I'm like, yeah, but it would have covered the footprints. Covered the footprints. Right. Yes. The footprints are my biggest issue. (laughs) The footprints. We're still very visible. the eyeballs. Yes. And the radioactive material. (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, In addition, evidence showed that the camp had been set on an incline of less than 30 degrees, which is considered the minimum angle for an avalanche to occur. Researchers found that the slope angle was only slightly under 28 degrees near the 30 required for avalanche formation and that the snowfall accumulation would have made the slope appear smaller to the rescuers when they pick them up so basically there's enough of an angle for the avalanche to occur according to models in this nature article so okay. real math articles or models you know i'll i might i'll probably trust that more than some conspiracy theories um there is also scientific evidence that avalanches occur it can occur at um at as little as 15 degrees if conditions are right um and Apparently, the snowpack at, Di- at the Dialov campsite was sugar snow, which I guess is very light and powdery and increases the risk of avalanches, not to mention there were high winds on the mountain. So potentially the winds could have had something to do with it as well. According to this article, there is evidence that the hikers flood their tents in the middle of the night several hours after they had built their camp which is the highest risk activity for avalanches to happen as setting up camp disturbs the snowpack. Makes sense. Mm. Um, In addition, wind may have accumulated the snow on the slab for several hours before the upper slab finally gave away. So they may not have actually realized the danger they were in when they built or set up camp. Mm -hmm. However, the actual injuries the hikers sustained are head and chest injuries that apparently avalanches usually don't cause, according to those who are against the avalanche theory. Nature's, the Nature article 
Avalanche simulations, however, suggest that a relatively small slab avalanche could still have led to severe but non-lethal thorax and skull injuries. So some of these injuries were entirely possible. And the loss of eyes, lips, and tongue of Dabinina and the eyes of Kolevatov could have been due to animal scavenging, as we have already discussed. The hikers would have either died from their injuries or from hypothermia and exposure and would explain why two of the hikers decided to take to the trees to try to get above, you know, the avalanche. So that is the avalanche theory, the recent uh, avalanche theory in the nature article from 2020. So this is kind of our most recent update. And while a lot of it makes sense to me scientifically, I still, there's still something off about this one to me. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me either. Like I see a couple different, uh, angles to this story right I don't think it's the full picture uh-huh so while this article is now the definitive authority on what happened at Dialove Pass which was named afterwards for the unfortunate leader of the hiking trip there are still a lot of questions surrounding this mystery and a lot of chilling details that lean toward the event being a less than natural event um, mm-hmm. I personally either lean towards the slab avalanche theory but there are some details that I'm not sure the avalanche theory can explain. So the radioactive clothing, for example. And I'm more than willing to entertain the military experimentation theory as well, because the Soviets are, you know, spooky ooky mm-hmm. and like to keep things under wraps. Uh, maybe if the Russian government would release more information about the event, the details could be ironed out. But until then, in spite of this new article, what really happened to the Diet Law of Pass hikers may remain a mystery forever. And before I fucking forget, I'm going to do citations this time. Also before you lose internet again. Yes. Um, so my sources for this was the mystery of the Diet Law of Pass incident by Marcia Wendorf. Um, that was from Interesting Engineering. Uh, the Mystery of Diet Love Pass, Death Mountain by Lucy Ash of BBC News. Russia's Diet Love Pass conspiracy theory may finally be solved 60 years later uh, by Brandon Spector, Live Science. And then the actual uh, journal article, Guam and Kuzrin 2021, Mechanisms of Slab Avalanche Release and Impact in the Diet Love Pass Incident in 1959, and this is from uh, Nature, and it is um, uh, volume two, uh, part 10. What is it? Not part section 10. I don't know. Whatever. I'll take that out. You'll find it. You figure it out. Figure it out yourself. (laughs) Volume two. That's all that matters. Volume two. Um, So that kind of wraps up what we know about Dialogue Pass. That's a wild one. Instead of keeping me up from being afraid or scared or spooked out, this one's just going to keep me up because I'm going to be thinking too much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love this one because it's like there could very well be like a just caused by nature catastrophe side of it. But then there's also like, okay, but there's something weird going on. There's I wonder if it's a bit of both. Yeah. Like, I I wonder if it was like, um, like the avalanche did this beginning of parts of it mm-hmm. and then like it 
was military testing. So then like later on, like something happened. Or the military testing caused the slab avalanche. Or that. Yeah. And then somebody came and ate that girl's poor face. Because they had to hide the evidence. I don't, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Something. Yeah, I was just going with what you said. Um, (laughs) You know, I feel like there's like definitely a mix of things happening. Yeah. It's not just, there's not just one thing that caused it all. Yeah. It's, it's a bizarre one. So, all right. We have gone on. This one might be a little bit longer, but fuck it. It's spooky season. Uh, You're welcome. Um, Happy things. Happy things that happened this week. I worked my ass off last week. I had three 12 hour days last week. Uh, Zombie. That was fun. Yeah. Got a buttload of donations Saturday night. Yeah. No, it's all pretty good. Made it through the week. Oh, I got my spicy margarita. Oh my God. That made my night. (laughs) That made my whole week. (laughs) Like spicy as in hot or like jalapeno. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was, I had my taste buds set on a spicy margarita since two Fridays ago and I never got it because the bar was too packed. So we just went to a different bar. Then last week was a hell of a week. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I am getting that spicy margarita Friday. Oh yeah. <laughs> I so, have yeah, gotten into uh Nescal margaritas. Like Ooh. they're very smoky. And yes. Corey made an apple cider mezcal margarita. So it's like it's like a campfire. You're like drinking a campfire. It's amazing. Like in a oh, good way. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that sounds <laughs> my kind of drink. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Um, I guess mine, other than obviously uh, Halloween, is this upcoming weekend, which will be the day after before this comes out, um, which obviously I'm always excited for Halloween um, as it is my favorite holiday. Uh, but I also had a really good time in uh, San Antonio, which I kept calling San Francisco all fucking weekend for some reason. And I almost did it again right then. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's been a while since we've been able to go. And I do really like the river walk, even though it's kind of touristy. But um, I finally got to go to the uh, El Mercado, which is like the historic market square. It's like set up like a Mexican uh, street market. So you can get all kinds of good food and they have all kinds of, you know, stuff that you can buy that's like, you know, local artisans make in Mexico and then they bring in there and you can buy stuff so I bought a bunch of cute stuff for my house (laughs) so and I did some Christmas shopping which I really need to do so yeah yeah all right well where can our listeners uh find us yeah you guys can find us on Instagram at mother nature podcast you guys can find us on twitter at mnwky podcast you guys can find us online at mother nature will kill you podcast.com you can also listen to us online there you can listen to us on apple podcast apple podcast spotify podcast google podcast any type of streaming platform we are on it and i believe that covers everything um you can also listen to us on our website and um you can also submit your own survival stories um to our website uh obviously please keep it nature related um and you don't have to get you know completely drowned in an avalanche for your story to make it on the podcast just a situation where you were 
scared or nervous or you had a close call with nature um Mm -hmm. and that's fine with us so you can submit that on our website and then um if you'd like to help out the podcast uh please uh give us a five-star review on any of those listening uh platforms basically uh what this does is tells the algorithm that people are listening to us and we're worth listening to and then it'll bump us up the charts. So um, it really is just to get us out there for more people to listen to us. It's not to make us feel good, although it does make us feel good. So um, I think that's about it. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. So let's wrap this bad yeah. boy up. Uh, next week we will keep getting out of the spooky oh, yeah. spooky and getting into, um, I wouldn't say some Thanksgiving themed stuff, but definitely some, uh, it'll make sense for November for sure. Cool. Um, we'll be getting back to some survival stories. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Instead of disasters, but. That's anyway. fine. Um, all right. Well, until next time, stay safe, but most of all, stay curious, explorers. All right. Alrighty. Let's leave bed. before <laughs> my internet craps out again. <laughs> yes. <laughs>